Well, this evening we are going to start looking at the book of Proverbs again, and uh, that's a good thing, in case you're wondering. Uh, Proverbs, uh, what am I trying to say here? It's unusual, at least in my time, we've never finished two series at the same time. So beginning a new evening series and a new morning series, uh, it feels like, well, it's what we're talking about tonight, is, is we have plans in our heart, but then God directs the steps, and in a sense... Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not my wise lining things up that we're beginning two series at the same time. But, and then even the themes we talked about this morning and tonight uh, overlap a great deal. What we're going to do um, from now, perhaps through the end of July, is pull out practical topics from the later part of Book of Proverbs and also the earlier part. But uh, you'll remember last summer we went through uh, Proverbs 1 through 9 and worked our way through it in the morning. Uh, and now we're going to pull out some practical topics, things like... Uh, listening and speaking, uh, parenting, finances, those sorts of things, and, and look for godly wisdom. Um, it's not always going to be a sermon in the sense of a full proclamation of the gospel. Of course, we'll bring into it our connections with the New Testament, but hopefully a bit of discussion as well. Um, uh, Proverbs is about reflecting wisely on our experience, and certainly I am not the oldest or wisest person in the room, and so I do hope you guys uh, contribute as well uh, to this discussion. We're going to begin tonight, and partially we're beginning here because it's conveniently um, a block that's organized at Proverbs chapter 16, the first nine verses. If you're using the church Bible, that's, gonna, that's on page 639, Proverbs 16. Uh, Proverbs 16, it is literally the center of the book of Proverbs. Actually, 16, verse 17 is the dead center. So uh, 16, 1 through 9, it's right in the middle of the book of Proverbs, but it's also the theological core of the book of Proverbs. A lot of the um, uh, individual Proverbs, they don't all mention God necessarily. They're not always explicitly theological. But here in the dead center is this core teaching of God's guidance of all things. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight is God's plans and our plans, or perhaps we could say God's guidance. I think if we show hands, probably all of us have prayed for God's guidance from time to time. Uh, we've sought God's guidance in various ways, some better than others. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let me read, and actually I'm going to back up. That's some loud rain. Uh, it went. I'm going to back up and I'm going to start in verse uh, 1533, and then we'll go through 16.9. And, and I will pull in a couple other Proverbs, but we're going to try and stay uh, tucked into this section here. Hear now the reading of God's word, uh, beginning at Proverbs 15:33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from God, or from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness 
than great revenue with injustice. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, as we look to the book of Proverbs, we ask that you would make us wise people. Fill us uh, with your word. Shape us in our character, that we might be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit and the virtues which make for wise living. Open our eyes to see the wonderful truth of your word. Amen. Well, Proverbs, as you might expect, uh, Sorry, let me think here for just a second how I want to say this. Uh, we, we've all, from time to time, we've sought God's guidance. And we've thought, I, I just want God to guide me in this situation. I, I, I have a decision I'm faced with. Do I take this job or that do- job? Do I go to this church or that church? Do I marry this person or that person? We've confronted those sorts of questions, and we look for God's guidance. But what we see here in the center of the book of Proverbs is that God's guidance is not so much something he gives, like some sort of a fortune cookie that says, okay, you know, you open up the cookie and take this job, not that job. But rather, God's guidance is something he does. God is guiding all of history, all things. And so what we're going to see is there's this interplay between our plans, which are good things, but God also has a plan which uh, is over all things. So Proverbs, as you might expect, emphasizes that it's important to plan. That's part of wise living. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent, uh, those who are careful, thoughtful, lead to, uh, surely lead to advantage. But everyone who is hasty, or maybe better, everyone who is rash, comes surely to poverty. Okay? Having a plan and working it is in general a way to, that leads to advantage. Uh, jumping in without looking first is a way to wind up in poverty. Proverbs also emphasizes that when we make plans, we should look for godly counsel. Proverbs 15:22, just a little before here, uh, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And both of these, I can multiply Proverbs that make these points. It's important to plan ahead. It's important to seek counsel as we plan ahead. And yet Proverbs 16, 1 through 9, this core section we're looking at teaches us another truth as well that's important to get our heads around when we think about our plans. And that's about God's guidance of all things. Okay, so guidance in the Bible is not so much something that God gives, uh, do this, not that, but it's something that God does. God guides all things. If you just jump ahead to the next page over, Proverbs 16.33, the very last proverb in chapter 16. If you like me, your Bible's sticky. There we go. Uh, The lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Okay, the lot is like drawing straws or flipping a coin. Uh, Dice, it's a way of, you know, we... uh, uh, football kickoff, who's going to kick off? You flip a coin. It's just leaving it up to chance. Uh, you know, there's uh, too many people in the lifeboat. Someone's got to go over. You draw straws. That's the sort of, I guess maybe that's a macabre uh, example. Sorry. But, uh, you know, that's, it, it's just leaving it up to chance, as it were. But what Proverbs 33 is saying is the lot is cast in the lap. We draw straws. But the decision is from the Lord. Even things that from human perspective are purely up to chance we can you know, run statistical tables, those sorts of things to figure 
our likelihood, but even those decisions are exhaustively uh, from the Lord. God governs even things that apparently come from chance. And then 16.1, coming back to this core section, the plans of the heart belong to the man. The plans we make in our heart, our, our, our inner thoughts, our intentions, our hopes and dreams, they belong to man, the person. They're ours. We're responsible for them. They come from us. They're our own. And yet, nevertheless, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Okay? Even the words we speak, even my, uh, in my dazed and semi-coherent state right now, the words I'm saying are part of God's sovereign plan. What if you ever had that happen? You, uh, you say something in the moment that you weren't really planning to say, and sometimes it's better than what you had planned to say, but other times you say something and it's kind of awful, and then you start thinking, I, didn't, I, I wasn't necessarily even planning to say that, and yet I'm realizing I have some attitudes going on that those words reflected that I didn't even realize I had. And in a sense, God, uh, uh, you know, with our words, he's revealing ourselves to ourselves, parts that we, hide, you know, we lie to ourselves about, we hide from ourselves. And so even our words are from God's, uh, under God's uh, sovereign governance, God's guidance. God guides even our speech. And then 16.9, the end of this section, we have the same truth. The heart of a man plans his ways. Okay, they come from us. It's part of our inner lives. Uh, uh, they come from our minds. And yet the Lord establishes his steps. Okay. Uh, so again, we, we come up with our plans, we devise them, and yet the actual walking, the carrying out the plan, is again from the Lord. It's established by the Lord. Now, these things are both true. Our plans are ours. We're responsible for them. They come from us. And yet they're totally under God's guidance. Our words are ours. And yet they come, they're within God's guidance. They're within his plan. Those are both true. And it's hard for us to put that together. Uh, our natural instinct is for to fate or freedom. Okay? Either it's all fated, it's all determined, and it just, it's, it's, it's unworking, unfolding on its own, or it's totally free and open, and, and nothing, you know, God can't govern our decisions because they're totally free. That's the, the modern mindsets, okay? Uh, on the fated side, uh, Physical determinism. Some, some scientists have the mindset uh, uh, that if, you know, if we had a strong enough computer from the very first moments of the universe, we could calculate everything that would ever happen. It's all, uh, you know, one thing follows on another. It's all determined. Or uh, some people have a sort of maybe what we could call economic determinism view. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what decisions you and I as individuals make because the economy is so big and it's all out of our hands and big corporations do things. And so what can we possibly do? Uh, this kind of deterministic view. And that fate view leads to passivity. What does it matter? It's all going to turn out, right? Whatever I do, it's all going to turn out that way, how it should be. On the other hand, I think, uh, uh, is, is this sort of absolute freedom view. Um, again, Tom Petty, into the great wide open, right? Uh, the sky is the limit. Nothing can, you know, there's nothing outside of us. We're just totally free. Our future is completely what we make of it. But if, if fate leads us to passivity, this sort of absolute freedom leads uh, 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 almost to a, a paralyzing effect on us. 
okay? If everything that happens in your life from now until the end is totally dependent on your decisions and absolutely nothing else, that's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? Uh, and in fact, as we look back at our lives, I think we can look back at times when we wanted things and we planned for things and they didn't work out. And in retrospect, we can say, it's actually really good that I didn't get those things I wanted. It wasn't for my, uh, it wasn't best for me. Uh, the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want, right? That's this kind of idea. It's like we don't always get what we want and that's actually good for us. Proverbs says the same thing in, in, in verse 25, 16, 25, a little bit farther. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Okay, we think something's going to be good for us, and yet actually it leads to death. So what's the biblical view then? It's not fate, it's not absolute freedom, but it holds these things together. God doesn't force us to act. Uh, our plans are our own, our decisions are our own, we're responsible for them. And yet, nevertheless, God guides all things. Chance, the lots, our words, our steps, uh, our hearts, all those things are guided by God's plan. So the biblical view is that everything is within God's plan, and nevertheless, we need to make our own plans. Those two hold together. Sorry, I didn't get as much good discussion going for this as I, I should have here thinking ahead. Uh, uh, so what do we make of this? It's, it's paradoxical, it's hard to hold this together, and it gets more complicated because we can say there's both God's uh, hidden providence and his revealed will, that we see both of those. So certainly it's not God's, uh, God's revealed will, do not murder. And yet, in his hidden providence, uh, Acts uh, 2, remember at the day of Pentecost, Peter says it's according to God's plan that you crucified Jesus Christ. Okay, so in, in God's hidden providence, things happen that even include wickedness. Um, sorry, I'm getting a step ahead of myself here. Uh, uh, this biblical view that, that, that God is both guides all things and that we're responsible it's, it's paradoxical, it's, it's, it's abstract, it's a bit hard to get our heads around, and yet at the same time, it drives us to live in a way that is good, okay, that is wise. Um, for an example, uh, do you remember in Acts 27, Paul is on the ship going to Rome, and it winds up in a storm. Do you remember what happens there? Uh, an angel comes, and, and does anyone remember what the angel tells him? Yeah, Nate? Yeah, all the lives on the ship are going to be protected. None of them are going to die. And yet, then, a few verses later, do you remember what the sailors try and do? The sailors have been chucking luggage overboard. It's to no avail. And does anyone remember what the sailors try to do in that story? Yeah, they, the sailors are lowering a lifeboat, and they're going to take off and leave the ship. And Paul gets the guards who are escorting him to Rome and he shows them the sailors trying to escape. And he says uh, in verse, uh, I think it's 31 there, uh, he says, if these guys leave, you won't live. Okay, think about that for a second. God has told him no one's going to die. But Paul doesn't just sit back. He says, look, we need these sailors or the ship's going to go under and we're all going to die. They go together. God has a plan and it's been revealed to Paul. And yet, 
Paul's not passive, he's active. He's saying we still need the sailors to sail the ship. They fit together. I think what, what, what we want is the opposite of what we get or of, of what reality is. Um, it bothers us to say God's providence governs all things. It bothers us to say you know, that God oversees all these things. And yet in the moment when we have to make a decision, we want God to tell us, do this, not that. Uh, and, and we say, well, you know, if God really loved me, if God was really, you know, whatever, he would tell me which thing I'm supposed to do when I'm making this decision. And it's the exact opposite of what we get. I think the, part of the reason for this if, if, that we can get at is, um, uh, sorry, Elizabeth, to use you for an illustration, but our, our daughter and I know Blaze is in the same uh, boat, have their driver's permits now. And, and, and so Nate and I are teaching our kids to drive. And when kids are first learning to drive, you've got to tell them everything. And they keep asking, do I turn left here? Do I turn right? Do I speed up? Do I slow down? Uh, and that's good because they're learning to drive. That's part of it. Uh, but if, if, if Blaze and Elizabeth in their 40s are still, you know, calling Nate and I on Bluetooth and saying, you know, do I turn left or right here, Dad? Do I slow? You know, what do I do? Uh, we failed to teach, you know, they haven't matured as drivers. They haven't grown into the people they're meant to be. And in a sense, what we really want oftentimes is a sort of low-level, sort of immature decision-making. You know, God, I'm faced with this hard decision. Just make it for me. Tell me what to do, left or right. Uh, and that's not really God's desire. His desire is that we mature, and so we can make wise and godly decisions ourselves. Uh, let's, let's uh, well, three, uh, we'll look at three more Proverbs here. Sorry, uh, this is uh, uh, a little bit jumbled. Uh, so God governs the, the, the words we speak, our steps, the lots. If we look at 1614, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Okay, everything there is, is part of God's plan. He has a purpose for it. And the second part of the verse, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Okay, even the wicked for the day of trouble. That even in some mysterious sense, and here's where we need to distinguish between God's revealed will and his hidden providence. In his hidden providence, even the wicked even sinful acts are part of his plan and are woven into his good intentions for the world. Oh, you mean like Judas? Like Judas, yep, yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or, or um, you know, just kind of backing up from Exodus this morning, the story of Joseph. Uh, and, and Joseph illustrates both these points, that God is trying to mature us and that God uses the wicked as part of his plan. Remember how the Joseph story starts out? Uh, is, is Jacob a model parent? Uh, no, he's, he's playing favorites. And it's not just like he kind of has a soft spot for one of the kids and no one else knows it. Everyone else knows it. The other brothers want to kill Jacob, or uh, uh, Joseph, right? Uh, that's how upset they are. The family dynamics are totally broken. And Joseph, at the beginning, is kind of, um, he's, he's, uh, He's on the road to being a very unlikable character. I guess that's the best way to say it. You know, I, I had this dream. You guys are all going to bow down to me one day. Isn't that great? You know, these sorts of just brash, foolish. Uh, he's the most loved by the father, and he's wearing this bright coat around. You know, uh, he's on the road to being a sort of immature person. Well, uh, as you probably know, no one has ever changed because someone walked up to them and said, you know, you're kind of a jerk. Uh, 
at least in my life. That rarely works. Uh, I think, I don't know what's going on with that person. They're having a bad day today, right? That, it, it may be true, but that's not how we change, is by someone just telling us, you know, you're kind of a jerk. Uh, we need to be shown. We need to realize for ourselves that there's areas of our life we need to change. So what happens to Joseph? His brothers sell him off into slavery. Uh, of course, he's, he's, he's falsely accused in Potiphar's house. He's thrown in prison. He's forgotten about after he helps the baker and the, and the, the cupbearer. He, he then eventually winds up in Pharaoh's court. And after all of that, after they build the store cities and everything, at the very end of the book, he says to the brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That even the wickedness of the brothers is worked into God's plan. Even, even Potiphar's wife falsely accusing him, somehow it's worked into God's plan. Uh, now, do I know how that all works out? You know how that all fits? No, it's mysterious. And yet, nevertheless, we trust that God has an exhaustive plan, that he's guiding all things. Verse 3 then, backing up a step. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. What do you think that's about? If you mean well, God will let you get away with it. <laughs> if you mean well, God will let you get away with it. Yeah. 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 It, I think what we oftentimes want to think is commit your plans to the Lord and your work will be established. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm planning to, uh, you know, maybe buy property and build a house. And if I pray over it, I commit those plans to the Lord, then the work will be established. It's going to happen like I want it to. Uh, that's the way we kind of, our default mode of thinking, right, is uh, pray over your plans and then God, it'll happen. Uh, and, you know, wouldn't that be nice? And certainly we should pray over our plans. That's part of wise living. I'm not saying don't pray over your plans. But this proverb actually says the opposite here. What it says is commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Uh, this word commit, it's actually saying, uh, 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 the sense is, is put it all on the Lord. Roll it onto him. The sense is it's, you're, you're putting it out of your grasp onto God. And so it's saying not the plans, but your actual work. Okay? Uh, what you do day to day. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think about it, what example to use, how to, how to, yeah, how to put this here. But uh, uh, church planters. I will, at times, have given the advice, this may not work out. Not every church plant succeeds. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use that church plant, okay? Uh, we were part of a church plant in college that um, a few people that weren't going to church still go to church now that were part of that, and yet it closed down after a few years. And the people who were part of that, it was used as part of their lives, okay? Uh, it shaped the individual. It shaped us being part of that. Uh, Likewise, uh, you know, here I hope that my ministry here flourishes, but if I fail, uh, God uses that to shape us as well, like Joseph, right? Uh, sold into slavery, that's still used to shape who Joseph becomes. That if we commit our work to the Lord, 
whether I succeed or fail, Lord, use this to shape me, use this to do your will as part of your plan. Once we commit our work to the Lord, we start to become the kind of people who plan more wisely, that our plans are established. Uh, we plan better when we say, you know what, it's in the Lord's hands. And so here, kind of to, to land, and, and, and hopefully this has been somewhat helpful, God, guidance is primarily something God does, and so it's not something that, that, that we ask for, but what the rest of these Proverbs are getting at is that we become the kind of people who uh, are guided well by God or, or, or fit with his plans. Proverbs isn't primarily about telling you turn left or turn right. It's about teaching you to be the kind of person who makes good decisions when you come up to the intersection. Uh, it, you know, if you, it makes sense, you know, the driving metaphor. Uh, it's, it's teaching you to be a good driver so that you can navigate highways you've never been on before, rather than telling you in every single situation, here's exactly what to do. So we see, for example, in uh, 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 verse uh, uh, 8, better a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Okay? It's saying what, it's not about, um, you know, what, what ritual do you do to get God's guidance? But it's saying, what kind of person should you become to live wisely? Being a righteous person is better than someone who lives with injustice. Likewise, uh, 1533 that we started with, the fear of the Lord is instruction with wisdom, in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Okay, fearing the Lord, having the right disposition towards God is instruction in wisdom, and humility, having the right sort of attitudes and characters. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to see throughout these different topics we look at from the book of Proverbs, that oftentimes it's about becoming the right sort of person to navigate the difficulties of life rather than being about, uh, you know, do this in this situation, do this in this situation, some sort of an exhaustive list of for every this, do that kind of a thing. I think, yeah, there's a lot more we can say on this topic, but I think that's a good amount for now. Is there other, uh, other reflections on 16, 1 through 9 here, or, or God's guidance of all things, our planning? Well, just because The Simpsons has helpful illustrations for just about everything, <laughs> uh, there's a scene where they're on vacation, and Homer turns on the cruise control, and it's like, this is great, Marge. It lets the car drive for you. He kicks his legs up on the dash, and... and uh, cuts to a scene where you see a car squirt off a field and crash into a telephone pole and, and catch fire. And Homer and Marge are looking out from the hotel room window and they're like, oh, I'm glad that wasn't us. Uh, to, the, to the point, though, it's sort of like if we, if we treat God's will as autopilot, yeah. then we're probably going to run into some problems along the way. We've been given the level of agency. It's not absolute. It's not fully, total freedom. Yeah. But at the same time, there's that, there's that tension that happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That we, um, uh, and the, yeah, we're growing to be the kind of people who navigate life well. Yeah, Ben. We're going through Proverbs 2 in Sunday school as a memory verse, the first part of it at least. And I think it illustrates what you're talking about because he starts out telling his son this list of things he does. If you listen to what I'm telling you, if you treasure it up with you, Seek it like silver. If you incline your ear to understanding, 
and you expect it to then say, then you will know what to do or something along those lines. But instead he says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord yeah. and find the knowledge of God. So it's like this surprise catch that actually what you need to understand is the fear of the Lord. What you need to find is the knowledge of God. And then he goes on and he says, then you will know every good path. Uh, so these things will guide you. And there's a lot more in there. As yeah. Well. To get at least what you're saying, we want an easy answer. Yeah. But what we're being taught is when you pursue the Lord, then yeah. And there's um, there's a reciprocal relationship between becoming the kind of person God wants us to be and knowing God. And the beginning of Proverbs gets at that. That there's back and forth. That as we know God better, it forces or not forces, but it leads us to become people who reflect His character. As we reflect his character, we know him better. Um, it's a bit like, um, uh, uh, maybe it's a bad illustration, but, but jazz music, oftentimes people find it off-putting initially. Uh, but as you start to, you know, maybe you like Miles Davis to start with or something like that, and as you listen to a bit of jazz music, you start to get a sense for how jazz music works, and then you start to appreciate jazz music more, and there's a reciprocal relationship. And it, it's a bit like, knowing God's a bit like that, that, uh, we become the kind of people who can appreciate God's character better and, and, and delight in the depths of his character. And so we, we grow in our knowledge of him as we grow uh, in our image of him or reflecting him. Yeah, good. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Sorry, I'm probably not convincing you that this is going to be practical teaching from Proverbs by starting with <laughs> sort of the deep end of, of, of God's providence and, and how those overlap. But I... I think this is an important point to get at that, that Proverbs is getting at, is that, that God is guiding all things. And so if you're asking God to guide you in the situation you're in, God is guiding you in the situation you're in. He's guiding all situations. Uh, and that's the overlap with what we were talking about this morning in Exodus, that even though God seems to be absent uh, from the Israelites' perspective until the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, and, and we'll trace that theme. Um, well, actually, I'll just say it now. You know, uh, Israel cries out. It doesn't even say they cry, cry out to God, but then God hears. And then even Israel and Egypt, they don't know anything's even happening, but God's over here in Midian where Moses has run away to, and God's preparing Moses to come back and deliver uh, Israel. So God's at work doing all these things that the people in slavery aren't even aware of that it's going on. Uh, God's guidance is all pervasive over all things. And so God is guiding our situations. Uh, the issue for us is to trust the Lord, to commit our work to him, to, uh, and to walk wisely, to develop the kind of character he wants us to develop so that we can respond well to the situations that we find ourselves in. Um, and so that uh, kind of getting first principles about what sort of things to expect from Proverbs I think will help us hopefully uh, as we turn next week to uh, speaking and listening. Yeah, Albert. I guess I like to ideally looking at life, say that if I do everything obediently, if I try to hear God, just all good things will happen. Yeah. And the God hates sin, so I, I, anything that bad happens in my life, I'm in my, at least in my past, in my life, the way I look at it is the bad stuff isn't from God, but as I get older now, and I look back in my life, the very difficulties that we're in 
And you go, how can God be in this? It's, God, I feel far from God, and yet I think it must be that God just, in His sovereignty, yeah, takes the bad things, uh, and they're all part of His plan to make us more like Him. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. As I as I've gotten a, a little bit older. Um, I've been able to observe a couple situations where someone died relatively early in life, um, you know, in, in, in the middle of their life. Uh, and it, it's interesting to observe that it can create a vacuum in a family and it forces other people to fill that vacuum. That there's, not in a negative way, but, but saying there's, there's things that need to be done. Uh, you know, if, if maybe one spouse is the one that was sort of the driving force in the family being in church, and they die, the other spouse needs to decide, okay, are we gonna be a family that keeps going to church or not? And, and it, it's not saying that they always respond well to those situations, but, it, but even people, you know, I, it seems like, you know, why does God let people die in their, you know, when they're 50 or that's, that sort of thing? And yet, you see these, you observe things and it's like, well, it, it does kind of force everybody else around them to grow uh, or, or opens up opportunities for them to grow. And so even in things like that, that, um, tragedies that God is at work uh, guiding things but um, but you're right also when things aren't going well it's a it can be like the idiot light in our car coming on saying you know put some oil in it or that sort of thing but, uh, so we should always you know if we're running into trouble we should stop and check okay is this is God getting my attention about something here with this? thanks Albert yeah Susie Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like kind of stressful, and then sometimes things seem to contradict each other. But yeah. I love this perspective and what we're talking about because I think, you know, I don't look at verse 6 where it says, For I said, fast love and faithfulness, and equity is it to for. Yeah. I just remember how many times in the Bible, hey guys, <laughs> how many times in the Bible the Lord is described as steadfast. Yeah. And when we were thinking about like his example, his model for us, yeah. that it's not. Like yeah. To do these things, it doesn't come from us. It comes from us abiding in the Lord. Yeah. And His steadfast love and faithfulness. Yeah. Resting in Him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think verse six that does connect to. Um, it does. I think it certainly connects to Christ or points us towards Christ. That it's steadfast right. love and faithfulness that will ultimately atone for sin. Um, right. And resting in God's accomplished, God the Redeemer. Um, right. Yeah. 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 That's that's right. And especially if we read Proverbs as being law, it can feel burdensome that, you know, we're never perfectly wise. Uh, we say foolish things, we do foolish things, uh, and that, that can be oppressive, but, um, but looking at it as, yeah, it's wisdom. Yeah, I think uh, our culture is saying some things to us that, you know, we're in control of our destiny, wherever you want to be, you can be flip side of that or a, a, a maybe a manifestation of that in evangelicalism is a little bit of arrogance about how we can control the environment for our children. Oh yeah. To the extent that we can get outcomes. Yeah. And uh, be very careful that we're not, not just our children but our job or our business or whatever, that, that we're not in charge of the outcome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, God's going to do with this what he will. 
and we might even be working against him too hard. Yeah. For even for good things. Um, and stepping back and taking ourselves a little less seriously might be a good thing. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Craig, because it was something that earlier in the week, as I was reflecting on this, it was, you know, there are important applications for parenting here that um, we have plans for our kids. That's not inherently wrong. And yet, ultimately, God's plan supersedes, and ultimately, God's plan is the pervasive plan. Uh, and God also is guiding every one of our children. He's at work in every one of our children's lives. And so, uh, you're right. Yeah, we can try and be so controlling about what they're exposed to, uh, their environment, uh, you know, micromanaging to a point where they don't mature into the people they need to be. Um, and so, yeah, we could, uh, we could read verse uh, uh, 3, commit your children to the Lord and your plans will be established. That, uh, yeah, and, and maybe a mistake of, mistake of ours in parenting isn't the crisis in their life. God can handle that in whatever way he wants. Yeah. Um, and in, what, in a way that's good for them in ways that I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I, I'm worried I'm going to be giving away all my good points from the morning. But I, I mean, there's something about Moses' mother. He sees her and that she's good. And that the fundamental disposition of parents needs to not be worrying about our kids, but delighting in the goodness of children. That the, you know, the, the, there's something fundamentally good. I mean, they are little sinners. That's true also. But, you know, it is God's good gift uh, and, and delighting in our children. Uh, it needs to be the fundamental perspective rather than worrying, planning, that sort of thing. Yeah, Jesse. I just want to say, I think, uh, to and Craig just answer, I've been thinking about the word established, the psalm in the established word in my hand, the repeat And the word established, I was toying with it, trying to figure out, and I think I've got my answer now. I think it's an eye on we're, uh, we're looking toward heaven as we pray that God would establish work for Yeah. Yeah, Nate. Humility comes before honor. Yeah. Um, but we're, we always want all the good stuff now. Yeah. And, um, and yet you read Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received. Yeah. Abraham was looking for a better country. That's why he lived in tents. And, and we, as Christians, we want all the blessings here and now. And yeah. Present in this world. Get the pattern God has established that this is yeah. a life of humility where we trust Him and um, good things are coming. They're yeah. sure they're established. But, yeah. 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 I visited an older man in our church this week and and had a good conversation with him. But then at the end, I was asking, "How can I pray with you?" And and uh, with tears in his eyes, he said, "What I really want is to walk again." And and so I prayed and also encouraged him saying, you know, God made our legs, God can remake our legs, certainly he can heal things, we believe that, uh, but even more fundamentally we believe you will walk again because, uh, you know, right after celebrating Easter, the proof of the resurrection that all these, it is established, it will happen, uh, uh, but not on our time, not on our timeline that we're looking for. Um, Okay, well, let's turn to our, our time of corporate prayer. Um.